This is a reading from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 31, the parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in, in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son, said to, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He is lost, well, he was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Imani. Good morning, everyone. Really lovely to be able to share with you this morning from one of my favorite passages uh, in the whole Bible. Shall we just pray? Father, thank you so much that you are here, that you are at work, and that you have a message for each one of us this morning, wherever we might be with you, wherever we might be in life, wherever we might be in faith, with faith. And we just invite you now by your spirit through your word to speak to us. Amen. Amen. So, this morning we are beginning a new series called Summer Loving. And no, we're not talking about Greece. Uh, we're not talking about John Travolta, skinny leather trousers, or anything like that. Um, but we're talking about what, according to Jesus, Christianity is all about. Uh, if you had to choose one word to summarize what Christianity was about, I think that word love would be a brilliant word to choose. And we're going to be thinking about the three great focal points for 
uh, our love that Jesus encourages us to love in, to love God, to love the world, and to love each other. You know, I love Jesus because for, for many reasons, but one of the reasons is he keeps faith really simple. You know, there are 614 commandments in the Old Testament, and Jesus takes the commandments, and he takes all the Old Testament, he takes the, the prophets, and he says, look, really, it can be summarized in this one word, love. Love God and love others. Don't you just love Jesus? He simplifies it right out. But of course, love can mean so many different things. I love pizza, but I also love my wife. And however much I love pizza, there are varying degrees of love, and there are different ways that we love. And so in this series, we're going to be exploring how exactly Jesus invites us to live this life of love that he himself beautifully demonstrates, and through that love, then transforms the world. Uh, see, we seek to be people who reflect Jesus in all that we do to bring transformation to the world, to Sydenham and Forest Hill, to the communities, to the places in which we live, that we might be agents of transformation through love. So that's our series. But today we're, we're kind of looking at first things first. We're looking at the foundation of it all. Because the Apostle John says we only love. Why? Because he first loved us. We're looking at God's immense love for us. And it's really hard to uh, overestimate the importance of an experience of the love of God in our lives if we're to be fully alive, if we're to be free human beings, let alone have the capacity to live the kind of outrageous lives of love, giving ourselves away to God, to each other, to the world that Jesus calls us to in his teachings. Uh, it's a little bit like an image that I have is of pot plants. And um, when I first started gardening, I was terrible. I'm still terrible, but a little bit less terrible. But when I first started gardening, we just had a little patio outside, and we'd plant these um, plants in the pots. And the first time it happened, the plants absolutely stunk, and they died very quickly. We'd gone to the garden center. We were feeling very excited, and we were trying to work out why these plants had stunk. Are we really like that terrible at gardening? And we realized that we hadn't put any holes uh, underneath um, the pot. And so basically, when we put water in it, uh, the plant was drowning and therefore dying. And it's a reminder, like that's an image for our hearts, that our hearts need to be in the right conditions in order to be fruitful and to thrive and to grow, just like a plant needs to be in the right conditions to grow. So our hearts do. And the condition that our hearts need to be in is the love of God, soaked in the love of God for us. It's really essential if we're to be alive and we're to be fruitful and the people that God created us to be. One of the um, things we do is a kind of daily routine in our house and uh, as the girls go to bed and one of the things we do for B is we sing over her uh, a well-known song, Jesus loves me, this I know. Jesus loves B, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Because if she can understand that, if she can understand that God loves for her and is for her and is good to her and is gracious to her and is like a father over her, then kind of everything else follows. 
But this, this is what really matters. This is where everything starts, an experience of the love of God. And so as we look at this passage, we're going to be asking the question, what is the love of God like? What is the love of God like? And the context is that Jesus is teaching and he's telling stories as he often does. There's a crowd gathered around. He's telling many, many parables to communicate the good news of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God that he's come to bring, which is totally different from the religion of the day. And it's totally different from the way of the world. It's a third way. It's a different way. It's the way of Jesus and it's the way of the kingdom. And so he tells these stories so we can understand what the kingdom of God is like, so that we can understand what God is truly like. And there's two distinct groups of people that Jesus is talking to in this passage. There's uh, a little catch-all phrase that Luke, the gospel writer, uses, the tax collectors and sinners were there. And what Luke means by that is the people who were on the margins, the people who hadn't been successful in life, who others looked down upon. And those were the people who gravitated towards Jesus most, and Jesus seemed to spend most of his time with. And then the other group of people that were there were told, are the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, and the Pharisees. So there are these two groups there. And Jesus tells three stories to help the crowd understand what God is like and to perhaps correct some wrong views of God that we can all pick up in life. And he tells a story of the lost sheep, a very simple story. Uh, There's a hundred sheep, one goes missing, the farmer goes after the one, leaves the 99, and when he finally finds the one, there's great celebration and jubilation. And he says, the kingdom of God is like that. That is what God is like. And then he says, God is like a a woman who's got coins and and she's lost a coin. Now, that's that's an interesting thing to say in a patriarchal culture, to paint God as a woman. And he says that God is like this woman who finds the coin, and when, he, when she finds the coin, there's great celebration and jubilation. And then finally, we get the story of the prodigal son. And whether you're here, and maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, maybe you're here for a baptism, you're exploring faith, you're open, um, or whether you've been a Christian for years and years, you've gone to church, and, and you know the score, either way, Wherever we're at with faith this morning, I cannot overestimate the importance of this story in understanding the heart of God and the nature of faith. A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Everything else flows from that. So the story of the prodigal son, it's really the story of two sons and how they rebel against God essentially, how we can rebel against God in different ways. We can rebel against God in self-interest and just living for ourselves. That's the younger son. We can rebel against God actually with our religion and our pride and judgmentalism. And for both the sons, the father goes after them and welcomes them home, calls them home. And that's the heart of what faith is all about. It's about coming home to the love of God. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So as we come to that question, what is God's love like? Two things that I want to kind of draw out of this story. Firstly, we see in this parable that God's love is relentlessly pursuing us. 
God's love relentlessly pursues us, just as a father would pursue or a parent would pursue their child. That's to say that it's not dependent on us and our behaviors in any way. It's relentless. It's relentless. It's just absolutely consistent in our lives. And it's entirely dependent upon the character of God. He's a holy good father who pursues us. So the story begins with the younger son and his rejection of the father. He demands his inheritance before the dad and effectively says, Dad, you know what? I want your money more than you. I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance now. Kind of a rude thing to say. But the father says, okay. And the father gives him the money. And he goes and he follows what he thinks will make him happy in life. He effectively pursues comfort, uh, hedonism, freedom, uh, described here, prostitutes and wild living. It's a tale as old as time, just simply living for self and whatever will give us pleasure. And, you know, we've all done that to a greater or lesser extent. We've all had that heart. We've all had that experience at some point, just kind of living for ourselves. But ultimately, you know, it lasts for a while, but ultimately he finds that kind of way of life empty and and things don't work out so well and he has this experience of lostness. He finds himself without any money, he finds himself without any friends. And he is desperate. He's desperate, he doesn't know what to do. And so he just gets himself any job that he can get and he is feeding pigs. And this is really like the lowest of the low. Jesus was really kind of provoking the crowd because remember, uh, what, what religion did the crowd come from? What worldview did the crowd come from? They came from a Jewish worldview. And so Jesus just chucks in this little detail here that the son was so desperate, he was feeding the pigs. Pigs were unclean, they were kosher. They weren't kosher. And so this guy is feeling shame. He's feeling guilt. He's feeling embarrassment. He's desperate. And he's denied his father. He's denied his religion, ultimately. He's unclean. And so in his desperation, he resigns himself to being a servant. And he says to himself, he's going to go back to his father. He writes a little speech in his head and just hopes that maybe they could enter into a contractual relationship, him and his father, and he could just be a servant because it would be just so much better from the lostness and the desperation that he's experiencing. And so the son returns home, but with low expectations of God. I wonder what your expectations of God are like as you think about faith, as you enter into a, a conversation about God or consider God in any way. What are your expectations And we get this key verse in verse 20, which takes us right to the heart of who God is and how he feels about us, his love, as we see the response of the father. Verse 20, and while he was still a long way off, the father saw him coming. The father saw him coming. It tells me that the father had not just got on with his life, but he was outside the house looking every day perhaps more in hope than expectation that his son might return home. You can imagine him on the steps just looking, wondering if this would be the day when his son returns. And when the father saw him coming, it says that he was filled with judgment and anger. No, he was filled with love and he was filled with compassion. And he ran to his son and he embraced him and he kissed him. 
What an extraordinary thing. The crowd at that moment must have been truly shocked, filled with all sorts of questions. Firstly, adult males do not run. That's a childish thing to do. It's an undignified thing to do. But here was this man, this adult Jewish male, but he was running to his son in this story because the father doesn't care if he looks stupid. He cares about his son. And the son is unclean, so he's going to be contaminated with that um, uncleanliness. And he probably stinks because he's been with pigs. And basically, the son put two fingers up to the father and said, I don't need you. He's rejected you. He's spent all his money. But the father doesn't care about any of that because his heart is filled with compassion and filled with love. And so he comes and he puts his arms around him and he embraces him. He embraces the son who finds himself in a mess in life. Nothing can change that passionate love. It is relentlessly pursuing And Jesus says, whatever your view of God is, make that your view of God. Make the Father your view of God. And however messy we feel, we are always loved. We are always welcome. He always wants to embrace us because the reality is for all of us, we all feel messy at times, don't we? I mean, we might come here today and maybe we've put on a shirt, we try and look quite good. But deep down inside, we all know that there's mess and there's shame and there's guilt and there's regret. And God's response is what? It is compassion and love and an embrace. And when we can get that, it changes everything. It's about living in the abundant grace of God. If you're a parent, the chances are that you might have had a similar experience in terms of embracing just the messiness of being a parent. Uh, I think of um, a day about nine months ago when we, as a family, took a day trip to Whitstable. We thought we'd go to the seaside. And so we pile in the car and uh, we thought it would take, I don't know, about an hour and a half. And it ends up taking two hours and there's loads of traffic. But eventually we get there. And um, we're kind of in the traffic coming into the town and we're looking forward to uh, ice creams and chips on the beach and whatever else. And then Tilly, our oldest, uh, announces that she's feeling sick. And so we kind of try and move quite quickly at this point. And so we find a little road to turn down. Um, It was so kind of poorly laid. I'm not even sure it was a road, but we went down there anyway. And um, we're feeling pretty good because we feel like we've stopped. We're going to cover it. And before we know it, she projectile vomits all over her herself, basically, her clothes, and the sick just gets in all the nooks and crannies in the car seat, and the smell just comes, and it's absolutely disgusting, Uh, and she's crying, and we're thinking, were we good parents? Did we bring a change of clothes? Uh, And my uh, eldest daughter, Tilly, starts saying that she wants a hug, she wants a cuddle, she wants reassurance. And I'm sat there in the front seat, and I'm looking at my nice shirt that I've got on, and I'm thinking... I mean, I do love my child, but also this is like a nice shirt and, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to go well here. But what did I do? Of course, I went round and I gave her a hug and the kind of sick seeps onto my shirt. Uh, and I ended up having to go and buy another T-shirt in a charity shop in Whitstable that day because it, I just got full of her mess on me. And that's the kind of image of God that he wants you to have. He comes and he embraces our mess. He embraces our shame, our guilt. However we feel incomplete in life, however much we feel like failures, God comes and he embraces us. 
And he takes that mess upon himself. And he takes us from a mindset of being a servant and he pushes us into a mindset of being a child of God. That's what we were singing about earlier. I'm a child of God. In 1 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul says this, that God who made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's exactly what happens on the cross. That on the cross, Jesus takes our sin, he takes our shame, he takes our guilt And we get his sonship. We get his status with the father. And that's what we see, verse 22. The father said to his sons, quick, bring the finest robe in the house. Now, a robe symbolizes forgiveness. You are forgiven. And they put the robe on him. And get a ring for your finger. A a ring symbolizes what? It symbolizes status. It symbolizes that he is a son. And put sandals on his feet. It symbolizes that he is not a servant. He is a son. Kill the, kill the calf that we've been fattening and let's have a feast. You know that expensive bottle of champagne we've got in the fridge? Let's open it because it's time to celebrate. That's what the father is saying. He's basically saying it's all good, son. It's all good. Welcome home. Welcome to the place that you belong. Welcome to living in my love, living in my grace. I will take your mess and I will give you sonship. I will give you righteousness. That's what God says to us. The Father's love is total. It's unconditional. It's relentlessly pursuing. And for many of us, we struggle to believe this. This is the kicker. We struggle to believe this from past experiences, perhaps of growing up as a child in our family of origin, perhaps from our own Uh, experiences at school, and because of that, we live as if God's love for us is conditional. We do well, we are liked. We kind of mess up. There's kind of a distance, you know, there's kind of a distance between us and God. And one of the things that God wants to do in all of our lives, wherever we might be, because we're all on a journey with this, is to help us to live under a settled state of grace, the deep knowledge that God loves you because he loves you because he loves you, that it's a free gift that's not earned. And as we become renewed in our thinking and our experience of God's favor and love in our lives by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit, our hearts, that we're children of God. As we receive this love, one of the things that happens is we become totally secure. All of us struggle with insecurity to varying degrees, if we're honest. When we learn to live under the Father's love, we don't need to go looking for validation of who we are in the different ways that we do, social media, in our work, family life, romance, because our security and identity come from God. We're children of God, and so suddenly we're free to enjoy these things in our rightful place because we're not looking to be defined by them. Another thing that will happen as we learn to live under the Father's love is that we'll know more peace. The Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. Anybody need more peace this morning? Anybody feeling a little bit anxious? When we know that God has got it, God has got our back, that God is good and he's always wanting to be involved in our lives, we know more peace and we'll know more joy because being a child is all about joy. It's all about being spoiled by our Father. So God's love is relentlessly pursuing 
But then secondly, God's love is always inviting. The love of God invites us to a party. I wonder if you notice this story, in the story that it's actually incomplete. It's unresolved, the story. It leaves us with a question. This party is going on. Uh, the calf is being killed. Uh, there's a kind of no expense spared party going on because the son has returned. And then the older son is outside of the party and the father goes to find him. And we're told that he pleads with the older son to come home. And the older son is refusing to come to the party. And this is essentially the rebellion of religion. This is the problem of religion. It's an attitude of moral superiority, an attitude of judgmentalism, an attitude of seeking to earn our way in life, an attitude of pride. And actually, the spirit of religion stops people from intimacy with the Father, stops people from really experiencing God's goodness and the goodness of life. Karl Barth, the great theologian, said, religion is the height of our rebellion against God. And so the question that the story leaves us with is, did he come? Did the older son swallow his pride and learn to receive grace, learn to live in grace and come to the party? We don't know how the story ends. Jesus kind of leaves that question hanging. And the image that Jesus is getting at here is the kingdom of God is like a party that anybody who would be open can come to. But we do need to respond. You know, we do need to actually come to the party. I wonder what the best party is that you've been to recently. I think one of the most extravagant um, parties I went to was a, a wedding party. It was in Kew Gardens. It involved a boat trip down the Thames, excessive amounts of champagne, incredible food. Whatever the best party that you've been to, that is just a taste of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is saying. A taste of the life, the abundant life that Jesus invites us into. It's a, a theme that runs throughout the scriptures of the Old Testament. We get the prophets that talk about the, the time when the Messiah comes in terms of a great celebration, like a banquet with the finest food and the greatest, the greatest wine. And then how does Jesus kick off his ministry? He kicks off his ministry by turning water into wine. He says, this is the kind of kingdom that I've come to bring. And just before this parable, he tells a parable of a banquet and he says, the kingdom of God is like a banquet. And the invitations go out. And people make up excuses for why not to come. I've just got married. I've got things to do. I'm busy. And so the invitations go out to the highways and byways, basically to, to the dis disrespectable people in society. And they come to the banquet. And the point is, the party's there, but it's there for whoever is open, whoever will receive grace. What stops us coming to the party? If they're a younger son, maybe it's we don't feel like we're worthy. Well, we know that that's not an excuse because none of us are worthy. Because he's a good father and he embraces us. And he, anything that would stop us coming to the party, he's removed on the cross. And if we identify more with the older brother, then maybe it's our pride. Maybe it's actually learning to say, God, I need you. That spirit of humility and grace. The party is open to anybody who would say yes. A friend of mine described the experience of the love of God uh, and coming to faith as like the moment in Wizard of Oz 
where everything goes from black and white into color. You know, Jesus wants to take our water and turn it into wine. Jesus wants to take our shame and our guilt and turn it into freedom. Jesus wants to turn our spirit of servant, being a servant, and turn us into sons and daughters. It's the great invitation open to us all, but will we say yes? Will we come to the party? So to summarize, what is God's love like? It's like a father relentlessly pursuing their children. It's the story of the Bible. We were lost and now we are found. And it's an invitation to a party, the experience of heaven on earth, the kingdom of God coming now. And here's the promise. The more that we learn to receive the love of God in our lives, the more our hearts will cease to be restless. And the more capacity, the more power, the more our hearts will be changed to be able to live a life like Jesus and to truly love God and our world and each other and to bring transformation. The love of God is the foundation of it all. Amen. Amen. Shall we stand? And we don't just want to be hearers of the word, but we want to respond to it. We want to live it out. And so one of the things we do every week here at Holy Trinity is we just make space for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, And so I'm just going to invite you to simply close your eyes. There's nothing magical in that. It just removes distraction. And I'm going to invite you to hold out your hands. And we're simply going to invite the presence of Jesus. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. And uh, if you are new to this, if you're not a Christian, if you're uh, new to kind of church, then you might want to think about it like meditation. But instead of emptying our minds, we're asking God to fill our minds and fill our hearts with his love. And so I just invite you to invite the Holy Spirit now. Just say in your heart, come Holy Spirit.